0: Driven mofos. I wanted to mention something that means a lot to me. When I was younger, everyone doubted me and their doubts became my doubts. Their fears fested inside my mind and I hated myself as I knew I could do so much more in life. I just didn't know where to start and failure would reinforce what a loser I already believed I was. If it wasn't for listening to audios just like this, which I spent tens of thousands of dollars on, I would have probably ended it all. I know that there are so many people out there who feel this way and are holding themselves back from greatness. So if I could ask just one favor today, it would be that you share this podcast with just one person as it may make all the difference and start them on a new path. You've probably heard this idea that money doesn't matter. But in this episode, I'm gonna question whether money does matter or not, because I hear it a lot and I'm gonna provide some different perspectives on whether money matters. The most driven people in the world want to build great empires and leave a great legacy. This podcast, The Underestimated Entrepreneur, is my attempt at documenting the lessons I'm learning on my way to building a $100 million empire that helps people perform better in life and business. My hope is that you use these lessons to live a kick-ass life while building your own empire and leaving a powerful legacy. I hope you share and enjoy. In this episode, I'm going to challenge some of the ideas and the thoughts around money and whether money matters or not. I hope you're strapped in for this one because I'm going to question everything in regards to money. Let's get into it. Driver mofos, welcome back to another episode of the Underestimated Entrepreneur. The other day, I was listening to someone talk about money and they said, you know, money's not everything. Money doesn't matter. And I kept hearing them talk about money, money, money and how it wasn't really that important. What I knew about this person is that they probably didn't have a high value on wealth or money anyway. Number two was that potentially the thing that's stopping them from getting what they want in life is probably money. And maybe they've had some criticisms and some judgments around money and around people with money that is holding them back from living the lifestyle they want. So I thought I'm going to share and break apart this idea of money and whether it matters or it doesn't matter. I hope you're going to strap yourself in for this one because I'm going to challenge some beliefs here. And hopefully it's going to help you to live a better life. So there are definitely people out there who are very money-driven. You know, I meet tradies and I meet business owners every day. And I meet a lot of people who say, you know, money, 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 money. It's about money. But now if money is your validation on your self-worth, then you're fucked. And you're fucked because money doesn't really have a relationship to how you feel you're valued in society. If money is your validation for your self-worth, now that doesn't mean that there aren't other things that we'll discuss in a minute around- the value that you provide to society and money does have an impact to value and it does have a link to value. But when it comes to how you feel about yourself, you will have times where you have a surplus of money and you'll have a time where you have a lack of money. It's just a cycle. Things go up, things go down. Everything in life is more of a waveform. It goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. Now, if you're doing a good job over time, it will naturally increase, but you'll still have peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs as you've got that increase coming. So I meet business owners who for six months celebrate and they're going, oh, we're crushing it in business. Everything's going great. And you watch it when they've got a surplus of cash, they go out and they start spending. So they start buying a lot of shit that they probably don't need. Then about six months later, it could be 12 months later, it could be nine months later. You watch, they go through the down cycle and the down cycle is, oh, crap, we don't have enough money. Cash flow's crap. Everything's going bad. And so they start to tighten things up. There's a beautiful sweet spot in the middle that if you have an excess, you'll get rid of something. If you have not enough, you then have to either cut back or you've got to grow to have enough. So there's this beautiful sweet spot in the middle of money where if you can control yourself and you can control your emotions, you can have a bit more stability around your finances. But just be careful that when you have an increase or a surplus, you will get rid of it and you'll start overspending. And so I've had plenty of people come to me over the years who are business owners who go through a surplus, they grow their business, they start hiring staff. They start letting inefficiencies happen in the business because they're used to just making money. They go, I'll just make more. I'll just make more. And so their philosophy becomes, I'll just make more. It's okay, It'll, I'll make more. And so they'll put up with non-performance from staff. They'll spend more cash. They'll go out and blow more on you know, expensive dinners. They start increasing their lifestyle expenses. So they raise their amount of money that they spend on a car. They might get a bigger house and they just get used to spending. But that's a bit sloppy. It's You get sloppy with your resources and your resourcefulness. Now, because the purpose of life, I believe, is growth, and I haven't seen this being debated well, if anyone believes otherwise, but the purpose of life really is growth, and anything in nature that doesn't grow dies. And so if we have an excess of capital, and we have an excess of money, and we start spending it, we get lazy, we get complacent, we get sloppy, and we don't grow. Maximum growth normally happens at the borderline of being challenged, but being also supported. If you have too much financial capital, what will happen is you give up on growth. So I've watched clients of ours go through this over the years where when everything's going well, they go, I don't really need a coach. And so they back off and they go, oh, you know, just, I've got heaps of other stuff on. They, they put off their coaching sessions or whatever it is. I see people not come to events because everything's going great. And then when the shit hits the fan, they're like, oh, fuck, I don't have time. I don't have energy. I don't have the resource. I don't have the cash. But they didn't, when everything was going well, they put it off. And then when everything wasn't going well, they didn't have the resources to be able to make effective decisions. That's really bad, shitty strategy if you're a business owner, and most business owners are like that. That's why I'm super stoked when I get phone calls from people and they're like, hey, everything's going well, but I thought, you know, I want to coach because I want to be able to keep growing. I want more stable growth. I want more inspired growth where things are a bit more balanced. That's someone who is super smart. Normally, I get people that I've spoken to three years ago, and then they call me and they're like, fuck, I've been going through this craziness. I've hit a rut. Everything's shit. Everything's turned to crap. And I'm like, cool. Let's get you in. Let's do some work, whether it come to an event or do some one-on-one coaching. And you listen to them, they're like, oh, man, I just don't have time and I'd love to, but I don't have the money at the moment. I can't allocate resources and blah, blah, blah. Well, when everything was going well, you were complacent and ignorant. And now that things had turned to shit, now you need my help. But at the same time, you don't have the resources. So what do you want to do? What it is, it's just shitty decision-making strategy. The reason why I talk about this is because money normally amplifies these behaviors. So this is why you will go through times where you're loose with money and times where you're tight with money. When we're tight, we tighten stuff up and we don't allow ourselves to become complacent and sloppy. When there is an excess of anything, you get lazy, you get sloppy and you get complacent. So if there's an excess of time, you get lazy, sloppy and complacent. When time is tight, you tend to rush and you tend to tighten everything up, which is the reason why one of the most fucking dumbest things that I hear from people is if I had more time, then I would do more. No, you won't, because when you have more time, you get sloppy, which is the reason why most people are sloppy on weekends. Very rarely does someone go to their calendar on a weekend and book out time like they do Monday to Friday. If you're someone that's super driven, have a look at your calendar Monday to Friday. It's normally tight, got to go to this meeting, then I got to get here, then I got to get that done, then I've got to finish this off and I've got two hours to get that done. And you're using the law of supply and demand and you're creating demand, which pushes you to get shit done. There's also something called Parkinson's law, And Parkinson's law is that the amount of time and space that you give for something to be achieved is the amount of time and space it takes to achieve that thing. So if you give yourself four hours, it'll take you four hours to do something. Now, if it only really takes you two hours to do it, you'll be sloppy and complacent for around two hours and then you'll put pressure on yourself in order to get it done within those two hours. People do this on holidays where they're going to clean out that one room in the house and they think, oh, I'm going to do it like at the start of the holidays, but they don't. They get sloppy and complacent and they waste a shitload of time They go out, they start watching more TV, and then all of a sudden, it's the last day of their holiday, and they go, crap, i got to clean that room, and then they rush to get it done. That's why when someone says, I leave everything to the last minute, everybody does. That's called time management or action management. The best thing that you can do is just book in your calendar everything in a last-minute fashion, like i got to get this done so that then I can get that done, so I can get this done so that then I can get that done, and you notice that time becomes that pressure to get stuff done. So, we need to have a tightness within our own life. If not, we get lazy, sloppy, and complacent. Now, money is exactly the same thing. So, when I hear people that say money's not everything, money's not important, they're normally people who are either lazy, sloppy, or complacent, or they've had times like that. And money causes them pain and problems because of their sloppiness. And then, so now they've got to find a way of justifying the reason why they don't have any money, or they justify why they don't have the life they want. It's just a fucking story they tell themselves. So, be very careful with that pattern of behavior from other people and maybe even yourself. I was out only a couple of days ago and I was talking to a guy who sold his business for, I think it was about $26 million. He was only in the business for three years, which wasn't too bad. It was a pretty good home run. Anyway, we were just talking and he asked me about my cars. And he said, you know, why did you buy a supercar? And I said, well, for me, everything in life is about inspiration. And I think that if I can inspire other people through my car, I think that that's awesome. But also my car inspires me. Every morning when I walk out and I walk out to the gym, I've got to go through the garage. And when I go through the garage, it makes me smile. It reminds me to keep playing big because that was a dream that I made reality. And it keeps reminding me that every day to make dreams reality, to keep dreaming big and go after it, work really, really hard, put in the effort, put in the energy and it will come true. And that's my car. So I said, it's interesting that when I drive places, I said, I enjoy it because I either get to find two sides of people. I get people who walk up and they wanna have a conversation with me about how I achieved what I achieved or what I do, which I find really interesting. You know, My second highest value is connection, social connection. So, I love telling people about what I do or sharing my journey with other people. And I get that when I park the car somewhere or when I'm around people. But I also get the people that go, oh, I bet he's got a small dick. I bet he's, you know, like my penis size has something to do with owning a supercar. Like they've created some relationship there of what happens with a penis in a car. Like it's just, it's so fucking stupid. But there are so many people out there that I bet he's got a small dick. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like I thought, you know, I've got a small dick. So, therefore, you know, I better go out and buy a half a million dollar car. Just, you know- It'll make my penis feel better. You know, it's just, it's so stupid, but it's just someone who is just justifying why they're either a loser or a piece of shit or whether they can't have what they want. Like they gave up. I hear other people that go, I bet he's a drug dealer. You know, I bought my first supercar when I was 32. I heard people go, I bet he's a drug dealer. I bet he rips people off. I bet he's a scammer. You know, I've heard so much shit that people say and because sometimes they don't know that it's my car, but I just hear the crap that people say. These are people justifying why they don't have the results that they want in life, especially financially coming back to the idea of money and whether money matters or not, it's how you use it. So when we look at money, it's essentially an exchange of value. That's all that it is. So if you don't have money, it's because either you're not valuing yourself or the product or service that you're offering to the world or what you deliver to the world is of no value. So when someone goes to work and they say, well, my boss should pay me more. Well, the question is how much value do you offer the company? Any intelligent entrepreneur. Now, sometimes if you're working for a large organization, you're not talking to entrepreneurs, you're talking to people that have jobs as well. So you might work for a a douchebag. But if you're working for someone who's entrepreneurial, if someone comes to me and they say, look, I've got an idea to make a million dollars for this business. I don't need really any resources. I can do it all myself. If I made the business another million dollars, could I have an extra 100 grand? The answer would be yes, every day of the week. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I would pay that every day of the week because that's a huge return on investment. Based on the value that someone provides, you're going to make more money. Now, if someone comes to me and says, hey, Can I get a pay rise? The answer is fucking no. The answer is no, because I pay you what you're worth. And if you're just doing the bare minimum of your job and just hitting your KPIs, you're doing bare minimum. You're doing the expectation. So based on the expectation that you're giving me it's based on the expectation that I'm giving you. You expect to be paid every week, and I expect that you're going to deliver a set outcome. Now, if you do way more and you deliver way more of what the business actually needs in order to produce more value to the customer and to society, then I'm going to give you more money. It's really that simple and most entrepreneurial type people are smart enough to realize that. If they're not, then you're probably working for a knobhead and you need to go find a job with someone else who will appreciate you. But if I hired a salesperson that salesperson you know, made the company two, three, four million dollars a year, let's say it's four million dollars a year. If they were doing that, they would probably be on probably 600 grand, maybe 500 grand a year. It depends depends on how much extra resources need to go towards providing the effort and energy that they're putting in on the product that they sell for instance if they need a lot of administration if they're selling something then that administration cost comes out of what they're selling so you then have to pay admin staff you've got to pay for computer upgrades there's insurances there's all this other stuff there's taxation da, 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 da. so if someone makes a hundred thousand dollars that doesn't mean that the business gets a hundred thousand dollars it depends on their tax rate because the tax man takes whatever the tax rate is if it's 30 percent and you make hundred thousand dollars 30000 goes straight to the tax man. And then if you're in Australia, you get GST as well. So that's an extra 10%. So you're only left with 60%. Then from there, you've got run costs. So business has to have business insurance. You know, you might be looking at an extra 5000 to $10,000 a year in business insurance. Then you've got public liability. You've got superannuation. And so it just keeps chewing into all these costs. Then you've got new product development, design, all that stuff in order to keep the business operating moving forward. So a lot of the time, what employees think a business owner makes isn't what the business owner makes. It's what the business makes, but there's a whole bunch of outgoing expenses. I've worked with people that have had $100 million businesses and they've come to me because they make $100 million as a company, but the business loses $20 bucks a year. So Even though the business makes 100000000 million, they're losing $20 million a year it's crazy. There was a big company that went bust, and were, I think they were a $400 million a year turnover company. They had $2 million in available cash flow. Now, if you think about a $400 million company, with let's say they have 100 staff and they pay those staff a thousand bucks. Now, that means that the run cost of the business is $100,000 per week just in wages. If let's just say that they're on $1,000 each and you've got 100 staff, that means their weekly run cost just in wages is $100,000. That's not even before they pay paid tax or anything like that. So if you go to a large business, and this is what I figured out, when I looked at their operating expenses and so on, essentially they had $2 million in the bank. That would last them less than a week. So they had less than a week of available operating cash because of their cost in staffing and their operating expenses. So essentially, if they had a shitty week or something got shut down due to COVID, bingo, it's all over, done, one week, gone. They just close the business because they can't operate. Most people never think about this stuff. They just see a business that's doing $400 million and they go, eh, they make a shit ton of money. But the truth is that they had one week of available cash flow and if not, they shut the doors. And that's what happened. They just went bankrupt. Driven mofos. I'm guessing that you found out about this podcast because someone shared it with you, posted it on their Insta stories, tweeted it or something like that. I hope you're enjoying the podcast and getting a heap of value from it, just like those who shared it with you. As you know, I don't run any paid ads or sponsorship on this podcast as it's my goal to get good information out to the world for free. The only thing that I'd ask from you is that you continue to pay it forward by sharing this episode and letting others know about what we do in this podcast so that we can keep growing this amazing community of driven mofos. So please keep the good karma rolling and share this episode with someone or just share it on your socials. So my point is that you need to understand that first of all, money is an exchange of value. Therefore, if you want to make more money, you have to create more value and you have to know what is valuable within the organization or what is valuable in what you offer. I hear people all the time that let's say they say something like everybody should do breathwork. And so they run a breathwork workshop and they want to charge $10,000 for a breathwork workshop. Now there might be a couple of people on the planet that would pay that much, But if it's not marketed well, it's not sold well, not many people are probably going to pay that. Now, to the practitioner, the practitioner goes, yeah, but it's going to change their life and it's going to make them feel better and it's going to make them healthier and it's going to expand their lifespan. It's going to create longevity. But is someone really willing to pay for that right now? Like if you look at the difference between a personal trainer versus liposuction, people pay way more for liposuction than they will a personal trainer. Why? Because they can get immediate results and they don't have to do anything. So therefore, the value of that product increases, even though for lifestyle, for longevity, for mental health-wise, there's so much more that a person will get from a personal trainer than liposuction, but most people go to liposuction and spend $10,000, and they'll complain about spending $1,000 with a personal trainer. Why? Because it's what the customer wants. That's what society wants. They want shortcuts. They want the easy option. Now, you can sit there and bitch and moan and complain about it and project your values onto society, but the truth is Society in most cases values liposuction over a personal trainer. Not everybody, but they will pay more for it for the period of time that someone needs to do something. You know, that's why a plastic surgeon will make a couple of million dollars every year, year after year after year, because people just want to get shit cut off, stuff shut. They want to look more beautiful, more pretty. And to them, that's more important than. Maybe some of the other things that they do. Some people go without food in order to own a Louis Vuitton handbag. I've seen people do this before. I've literally seen people go and spend a couple of thousand dollars on a Louis Vuitton handbag and not be able to eat food or pay rent because to them, the handbag was more important than paying rent and eating food, which is ludicrous. It's ridiculous if you think about it. But that's what some people value. So it's not just about the value that you think you provide. It's the value that society values and people in society value whether it's because of marketing, whether it's because of belief systems, whether it's because of consumerism, it's whatever it is. But you have to know the value that you give and that it's something that people perceive as being valuable. That's important to understand because if ever you're in cash flow problems, the first thing that you need to do is not focus on money. Do not focus on money in life at all. Well, I shouldn't say at all, but just don't focus on money because money is the exchange of value. Focus on value. If you're struggling with money, Don't say, oh, I don't have enough money. You say, I don't have enough value and then go on, add more fucking value. That's what you need to do. You know, when I hear people say, oh, I don't have money for this. It's because you don't have value. That's the reason why you're not adding enough value. Go out there and figure out how you can add more value, whether it's through working harder, whether it's through putting in more hours, whether it's through getting a second job, whether it's through adding value in your business through another product line, whether it's improving your marketing and improving the perception of value. There's all of those things that you can do in order to increase the amount of money that you have, but money is the byproduct of value. So if you need money, you need fucking value. It's that simple. So let's get back to breaking down some of these myths and misconceptions. When someone says something like money's not important, well, what is important? Now, a lot of people say things like, well, health is important. Okay, let's look statistically. So I came across a study only recently that showed that outcomes matter. Because unequal outcomes in terms of personal wealth have a strong impact on average life expectancy, such that wealthier people tend to live seven years longer than poorer people in the UK. What it showed was when I just read the short of it all is that those with higher income have higher life expectancies. Those with lower incomes have lower life expectancies. So when someone says money's not important, well, in regards to life expectancy, it is. Now, if you look at health outcomes, Does someone with more money tend to be healthier versus someone who has less money? Go and stay in a three-star hotel versus go and stay in a six-star hotel. In a six-star hotel, you walk in there and they have a huge buffet. That huge buffet is fruit, fruit juices, amazing food, eggs, great produce. You will see it is amazing. When you go into a good six-star hotel, the food in there is phenomenal. A lot of health food. And if you have a look, if you look around you at the people who are staying at a six-star hotel, they tend to look better, as in they look healthier. They tend to dress better. They will also just look more physically fitter. When you go and stay in a three-star hotel, you will notice that the food is just dog shit. And it's dog shit. You'll see a lot of cereal, a lot of high-sugar breakfast foods, a lot of high-sugar juices and sweet stuff it's just full of brown stuff. And I've done this because I've tested. I've traveled all around the world with my speaking and I've traveled all around the country. And sometimes I've had to stay in three-star hotels, four-star hotels, five-star. And there are common patterns. You notice that the people that stay in those hotels dress different, look different, look after themselves differently. Now, there could be different reasons why that is. and Maybe I'm just generalizing. But go and try it out. Go and stay at a six-star hotel and pay to $1,000 a night for a night and then just go and have a look at their breakfast menu or go and have a look at the buffet. Go and have a look at how the people dress and go and have a look at the weight of them. You will notice that if you go and stay in a really, really nice hotel, people tend to be fitter. They have really good gyms in most cases. When you go in there, you'll notice that the gyms are normally fairly full. So when I go to six-star hotels in the morning, I get up at 5, 5.30, I walk into the gym. There's probably like 10 people in there already exercising. They're up early, they're exercising, they're getting shit done. You go down to the breakfast area, people are doing stuff, they are dressed nice, they you know, look like they value themselves. Then I've gone and stayed in three and four-star hotels, and when I get in there, go to the gym in the morning. The gym's normally some fucking chin-up bar and a $200 treadmill that probably doesn't work. And so then I just do squats on a chair or something, I just try and find some way of doing a workout, I'll do some push-ups or whatever, or I might even just go outside for a walk because I get pissed off at how shit the gym is. But that's normally most you know, three and four star hotels. Then I go down for breakfast and in the breakfast buffet, everything is just brown and disgusting as in just cereal and toast. And they have two types of toast. They have multigrain and they just have white bread. That's it. There's just heaps of jams and spreads and everything with sugar. They have fruit juice, but it's just sugar packed fruit juice. It's almost like a or just something that's so sugary. It's gross. The coffee is disgusting. It's like dog shit. Nothing's good in there. Really. And then if you have a look, people are a lot more obese. They'll eat a lot more food and you definitely won't see them in the gym, okay? It's just a completely different lifestyle. I know this may be critical. I'm not saying this to criticize people because, you know, everyone starts from a place. I didn't start from wealth. You know, my parents growing up weren't wealthy. My mum was 17 when she had me and my dad was 19. They bought their first home when mum and dad were essentially 18 and 20. Like they literally just had me and they lived with some of their friends for six months to a year while their house was getting built. And then they moved into the house and we lived in a lower socioeconomic area. In fact, they built one of the first houses in what was a lower socioeconomic area. That area now has gone up in value quite a bit. I mean, they're financially independent now. But when we were younger, my mom was so tight with money. Every cent mattered. You know, she used to collect coupons and stuff like that and go shopping. I remember like we would live off leftovers most of the time. If I wanted to go and have anything sugary in the house it was either for a special occasion and my mum would cut sick. Like if we had packets of crisps in the house, my mum would cut sick if I ate them because she'd say they're for a special occasion. You know, I remember eating pizza maybe on my birthday or getting takeaway maybe on my birthday. Other than that, we just never had takeaway. I remember kids at school getting lunch money. I remember getting lunch money maybe a couple of times and it was normally for a special occasion. Very rarely did my parents give me lunch money. And that's just the way that we lived. You know, if we went out for the weekend, we would pack a lunch. Like if we went somewhere for a reason like... If we went to a theme park, we would pack lunches. So that's how my parents operated. So I didn't come from high net worth or anything like that. That's how I learned to work. And that's why I got my first job when I was 13. And from 13 years of age, I've worked ever since. I've always had a job. I used to go and do night shift where I would go and clean buildings. And I worked as a cleaner in the hours of like one, two, three o'clock in the morning. I would go and clean stuff when I was like 14 and 15 years of age because it was how I could make better money than working at McDonald's. You know, I don't want anyone to think that I just luckily had this stuff. But anyway, coming back to it, I want you to go and have a look around you at how people live in lower socioeconomic areas and higher socioeconomic areas. Go to a lower socioeconomic shopping area and have a look at the restaurants that are there. And then go to a high economic area, a high socioeconomic area, and find the restaurants that are there. Now, maybe it's the environment that dictates that. Maybe it's the environment that makes people obese. Like maybe being lower socioeconomic makes people obese because it's the only food that they can afford. Maybe. And sometimes food is cheaper. But when you look at the difference between getting a water filter for $100 and putting a water filter in your house and being able to drink filtered water versus buying Coca-Cola every day, you'll find that most people drink Coca-Cola every day than buying a water filter. So maybe it's not the environment, maybe it's also choices and decisions that people make also. And you know, you can pay off a water filter like if you're just paying for the filter, it might cost you 50 bucks a year to replace the filters and you can have that water filter in your house for 10 years. If you did that, that's a lot better than drinking Coca-Cola, Diet Coke and all of those things every day. So maybe people are making choices and maybe it's a bit of both. Maybe it's choice, maybe it's environment. I'm not sure. But when we come back to it, the average higher socioeconomic person in the UK lives seven years longer than someone of lower socioeconomic class. So when someone says that money's not important, it is with life expectancy. It is with health status and health outcomes. Countries with higher socioeconomic statuses have higher life expectancies. They have less lifestyle diseases in most cases, not in all cases, but in most cases, things like heart attacks and so on. Yeah, definitely. But if you have a look at things like diabetes and so on, if you go to lower socioeconomic communities where they're eating lots of sugar and shit like that, then you are definitely going to see a risk of things like amputations and nerve issues and, and a whole bunch of other things. But anyway, so it matters when it comes to health. It matters when it comes to life expectancy. If you have a look at the number one reason for divorce, it is around money, So if you've got two different people with two different beliefs around money and they haven't worked on their beliefs around money together, then there is a high rate of divorce. When you have one person who makes a lot of money and the other person who stresses about money a lot, or you have one person who just thinks that money grows on trees, which I see with business owners. You know, at our upcoming Business Growth Odyssey, I'm talking about this. We're spending a whole day where I'm allowing people to bring their intimate partners and we're talking about money and wealth creation because a lot of business owners that I know, they make good money. Their partners expect to live a certain lifestyle, but expect their partners to work from nine to five. Now, if you want your partner to work to nine to five, but you want to live a Range Rover lifestyle where you get to go out and get to buy a nice handbag and you get to put the kids through nice schools and shit like that, your partner has to do something completely different than most other people. They can't be average. So therefore, they're going to probably work longer hours. They're probably going to spend more money on their own growth, their own development, coaching, all of those things, because that's what helps them to keep earning the income that they earn. But I noticed that someone who has a partner who doesn't understand that lifestyle will criticize their partner for working too much. And they'll say, you work all the time, you don't look after the kids. And there's nothing worse than working your ass off for a 12 to 15 hour day. Coming home and having your partner say, right, now it's your time to do shit around the house and look after the kids. That's gonna create huge problems. So you've gotta get on the same wavelength around money. So money can have a huge impact on divorce rates. And people who have a gap in their ability to think about money Can have more problems around their relationships which can lead to divorce because of money so money is super important when it comes to relationships and the conversations you're having and the beliefs around money so it is important to talk about money with your partner your kids when we look at family dynamics is it important to talk about money in front of kids my parents used to say we don't talk about money around the dinner table now my mom still doesn't like talking about money I'll ask her, you know, how are things going? Blah, blah, blah. You watch, she doesn't like giving away too much because we don't talk about money. But that is so dumb. If you go to wealthy families, wealthy families talk about money all the time. So if you sit around a dinner table with someone with extreme net worth, like I'm talking high net worth, $100 million plus, they will normally talk about money around their kids because it doesn't give them a feeling. It's not, money shouldn't be emotional. So they don't sit there and go, money's bad. We shouldn't talk about money. They're like, money's just, it's the same as talking about health. It's like talking about relationships. It's like, we just talk about it, you know. I was talking to someone only a week or so ago, and we were just having a conversation about money. Now they were worth a couple hundred million dollars, and we were just chatting back and forth. I said, you know, how much do you make? Like, what's the business do? This is what we spend. This is the expenses, and they free flow with it because they don't have any emotional attachment to money. Money is just the byproduct of the value that they create within their organization. That's it. And so they don't have that. I don't want people to judge me. I don't want people to criticize me about how much I make. Like I've got to try and hide it all. Some people do with high net worth, but that's their insecure around money so does money affect relationships yeah it does does money affect your kids yes it does you should be talking about the way you manage money in front of your kids you should be teaching them around how to save money how to invest money now if you're not doing that you need to learn that so you can pass that on if you want them to be good with money kids don't listen to what you say they replicate what you do if you want your kids to do well financially then start them from a young age and teach them about money but that means that you need to learn about money So does money impact family dynamics? The answer is yes. So my point is that money impacts all areas of life because it is an exchange of value. If you value health, then you need more money. If you value your intimate relationship, then you need to have good quality conversations around money. If you value what you do, then you need to talk to your team and talk to your staff and talk to your management about money. We need to get rid of this stigma around money. I mean, ever since the early times, there have been massive gaps in between wealth distribution in societies. And that's because those who tend to offer more value or do more in society tend to have more money. Now, if you go back to ancient times, there is an amazing book series. If you're someone who loves learning about finance and loves learning about wealth and so on, there's a whole book series called The Book of Wealth. And The Book of Wealth, I think, is 10 or 12 volume set. That set goes back through the history of wealth creation throughout the last couple of thousand years. So it goes back through Egypt, what they did, how they spent their money, what was important to them, how they appeased the gods and all that sort of stuff. So you can go through and you can have a look at why the pharaohs did what the pharaohs did, what they were trying to accomplish, what they were trying to build, how they left a legacy. It's really, really fascinating. And for most of them, it wasn't about just the power. It was about what they were leaving behind. And it was also about the people, that they wanted to build something that people would be proud of. And also for the gods. They knew that the more money that they had and the more they put gold and ivory and shit like that over everywhere that the more it would make the gods happy. Now, whether that was an intelligent way or whether that was just you know a false belief, I don't really know. But great cultures and great civilizations were built on great wealth. And so this book series goes right back through that. And it's really, really fascinating. And you can see it happening in the world now You know, in countries like Dubai and so on, you know, there'll be great civilizations. The US did it in the 1900s, same as Australia. You know, that's where Australia was built. I don't know that we're doing too much amazing stuff with wealth at the moment in this country. Maybe we are. Maybe we're building freeways and highways and stuff like that. But Dubai, definitely in the Middle East, definitely doing some extraordinary stuff over there. Singapore and so on have a read of it. It's really fascinating. It'll take you a while to read through it if you sort of just digest it. And I would read a couple of pages a night and just sort of let it just sit in my head really thinking about these ancient civilizations that did great things. But money does matter. It's part of the laws of value exchange. And if you understand value exchange, then you will understand money and why it is important. So when someone says to you next time, money's not important or money's not everything, ask them to explain that idea and that concept. And then let them know that people who have greater wealth have higher life expectancies. They have greater health outcomes they tend to have more choice in the way that they operate within their value systems so therefore they're more fulfilled if you discuss wealth and you're on the same page as your intimate partner you'll have better relationships so the more you talk about money with your partner and the more you try to understand each other's values and what each other brings to the relationship the better the relationship's going to be the more you talk about money with kids and teach them Patterns of behavior like saving and investing. And you teach them that from a young age, probably the better they're going to be with money as they grow up as well. And then they'll realize that money's not this dirty thing or it's a bad thing. Now, for most of you who just listen then, you'll say money doesn't grow on trees. It's probably just an automatic response that you have. Rich people are, and a lot of people say something like assholes or, you know, greedy or something like that. If you had any of those beliefs when I said this, then maybe you need to go back and do some mindset work and break those patterns because maybe they're the things that are stopping you from getting the wealth that you want and living the lifestyle you want. Anyway, I hope this helps Driven Mofos. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I just wanted to give you a different way of thinking about wealth. I hear this stuff all the time and I really want our community to achieve great things, to achieve great wealth and great success and to be able to live the lifestyle you want, have the family dynamic you want, have the relationships you want. I think that it it is important and so that's why I wanted to talk about it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. For all of those out there who have been sharing this podcast and rating and review it, I really do appreciate each and every one of you. It's been awesome to see the ratings go up on the podcast apps. So for all of you out there who have been rating the podcast, I really do appreciate it. For those of you who haven't rated this podcast, it takes like one second. You've just got to click on the little stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to it on, and you can rate the podcast straight away. On some of the apps, you've got to listen to five episodes or six episodes before they'll allow you to rate it. But if you could do that, it would be absolutely awesome because it helps get this out to more and more people. And I really want to help people to be more successful in their own lives and also to be able to share that with people around them as well. The more I can get this out to people, the more you share it, the more you rate and review it, the more we can get it out to people. Anyway, Driven Mofos, have a great day. And thanks for being part of this awesome community of Driven Mofos. Have a great day. And I look forward to joining me back here once again for another episode of The Underestimated Entrepreneur.